from Infinite Guest, this is Top Score, a weekly visit with contemporary composers who make video game soundtracks. I'm Emily Reese. Composer Gary Scheiman co-composed the new game Middle-earth Shadow of Mordor. It's a Lord of the Rings game and you'll recognize some of the characters. However, the writers at Monolith Studios wanted to create a new story. The writers also wanted a unique score not music based off of or even inspired by Howard Shore's music. No disrespect there, uh, the studio just wanted to change. Gary is so good with orchestra. I love the colors he chose to use in this music and how intricately he writes for such a big group of musicians. All the music you'll hear today, with the exception of one track, comes from Shadow of Mordor. So if I mention a track name, that's where it's from. Oh, and uh, don't worry, he will close his window soon. Well, again, super nice to chat with you as always. Looking forward to hearing more about uh, Mordor music. Yes. So let's go ahead and get started with how you got involved in the project. How long did you have to work on it? I was contacted by Nathan Griggs, who is the music director for Monolith Studios in, uh, in Washington. And uh, he was interested in working with me. But the, but the game, you know, the game sort of took on its own life uh, separate, separate from the movies, which was cool, you know? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Can you expand on that a little? Well, I, they really wanted to do a dark take. Uh, on on the the Lord of the Rings, uh, and the direction they went was really just kind of like um, tease out a story uh, about this one character who literally dies in the opening of the game, and then has a mission to uh, sort of uh, you know get get even, shall we say, <laughs> uh, to <laughs> with uh, those that killed him and his family. So he's he's sort of a ghost, really, and. It's, it's, it's really an intriguing storyline. This is called Finding Aaron. some of the characters, obviously, and, and you're in the same world uh, as uh, the Lord of the Rings, but the story itself is unique, and, um, and, and I think is what makes it interesting, and it's certainly what differentiates it from all the other uh, uh, Lord of the Ring games that are out there, which are almost, if I'm correct, they're pretty much all based on the movies. And so they didn't want the music to sound like Howard Shore's score. Um, and which was which was great. I didn't feel like I needed to imitate anybody or, or anything. And, and we just took our and, and I did co-write the score with Nathan. Um, I, I, I don't know who, who I wrote a lot of music for the game. Yeah, you did. But, you know, the, the, the thing that I think any gamer would know is that games unfold over such a um, so many hours that, you know, unless you want to unless you have very sparse music or you want to repeat the music a lot, <clears throat> you have to, it needs a lot of music. So. 
Yeah, yeah. The the size of that game requires more than one body, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a ton of music. This track is Stealth is My Only Advantage. I mean, it was orchestral. We ended up going orchestral with it, but uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't go hip hop. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you uh, had now. (laughs) That would have been an interesting game. (laughs) Yes, it would have. So tell me a little bit about the palette then you decided. I hear lots of brass, and I love that. Yes, we we had a a wonderful brass section, and, uh, you know, I mean, brass... And, you know, it's just, it's a strong, dark, can be, of course, very dark, and and, uh, and it could also be warm. And we use a men's choir, and uh, that also just emphasizes the low end of the palette, you know, and the, maybe the, the darker vibe and feel of the story. It's, it's a pretty dark game. I mean, when you consider it, how it starts out and, and what your uh, what your goals are in the game, you know, really, it's it's a it's revenge. Uh, to a great extent. And then there's uh, a sort of a shocking surprise ending uh, where you could sort of discover. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Yes. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so the, a lot of, a lot of low brass, a lot of strings as well. This is a perfect swing for killing chickens. things called sample libraries available to buy online and they're full of files of sounds so like a sample library of violin sounds would have all kinds of sounds a violin player can make a brass library would have sounds or samples of all the brass instruments so i used a lot of these uh, uh bamboo i i have this i had this really kind of strange library that that's uh, I've had for a long time that I thought, oh, I'll never use this library. It's these scrapes, bamboo scrapes, and they're really weird and, and crazy sounding. And we recorded uh, in, uh, with the Seattle Symphony Orchestra, and, and they, they're, they're, they were awesome. And there's a church up there called Bastyr. It was a Catholic church. It's not a part of a school. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's got a huge ceiling. It's got a really beautiful Gary, so hang on, hang on. Can you close your window or something? Yes. Sorry, there's a truck coming by. Sorry. Actually, it's the fire department. Yeah. 
there's a fire truck right outside my window. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's totally fine. He's gone. And there's, and there's probably no fires. They bring the whole fire truck when someone gets sick. Yes, they do. Why. Yes. It ha- I, have I don't a... understand. Like, in case the guy burn, explodes and burns on. <laughs> is that, does that ever happen when someone spontaneously I don't know. erupts into flame? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Can you say that place, uh, talk about Bastyr again, just how... Oh, yes. so, so, yep. Okay, so, and we recorded in this um, really uh, a wonderful recording space. It's a, it's a church called Bastyr, but this church itself has this great room tone, you know, and that is the great scores. I mean, really, really good orchestral scores are recorded in rooms that have this room tone to it, have sort of a natural reverb. And sometimes you get these small, tight recording spaces and they're just sort of dead. And then they have to add uh, uh, almost always digital reverb uh, to them. But it's not the same as a room tone because the, the room will actually reverberate in sympathy with like the, the various frequencies and the low end will get reinforced and in, in, in good rooms. So this room has a really, really nice natural reverb and it and it enhances the bottom end, as my engineer likes to say, blossoms and, <laughs> and you get this really rich, warm tone. This is called an easy mistake to fix. game CGI movies they're, they are uh, uh, digital digital movies they take a long time and it, they're almost always the last thing finished in the game really yes yes wow. so so you can score them because they usually have some kind of like really awful looking you know s- simplified version of it used the characters look kind of funky and digitized and the backgrounds aren't filled in but um, in this in the, and so Yet again, the cinematics, the the in-game movies came in late, so we had to come back and score those, uh, record those with the orchestra uh, a couple weeks after the uh, in-game stuff. Is that too nerdy? No, that's perfect. I love it. There's no such thing as too nerdy on top score, Gary. track is called The Ghoul's Bright Master. 
I do want to ask you, though, because there are a lot of avant-garde kind of techniques that you used in a lot of this writing. And you also used a lot of avant-garde techniques for Bioshock, but very different scores. So can you kind of talk about what that entails? What kinds of techniques did you maybe use for both types of music, even if they're totally different settings? In the mid-late 20th century, these sort of aleatoric effects where you use the orchestra in sort of a really interesting and unique way where you ask the players to sort of improvise and and almost to choose their own notes uh, within, uh, uh, but with with in very specific uh, directions. So you may say, okay, play a, a cluster of notes. So the ch- players can choose their own notes, and then they'll you'll, they'll glissando or move the like the string players can move can play this on the strings, and it's called a glissando and move around, and it creates these very eerie effects. And uh, I mean, John Williams has been using them for 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 many years. I mean, it, it, they're not. They've been around for a long time. They haven't been commonly used in video games. Um, In some ways, uh, Bioshock sort of I sort of introduced those techniques. Um, I'm not saying that no one else uh, had had used them prior to that, but that that's that was sort of known as like all right, someone's finally using these advanced techniques. Um, So so yeah, they can be very useful in creating of taking the orchestra and just creating some really crazy, uh, frightening uh, textures. You can hear some of these avant-garde techniques in internment camp. to literally the 50s and 60s when uh, Penderecki and Ligeti, uh, Ligeti was uh, a Hungarian composer and Penderecki was Polish, sort of invented these techniques. At the time, everyone thought they were out of their mind, of course. <laughs> but then, but that, the first score you ever heard these sort of techniques in were used, were um, a 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, Kubrick, uh, actually licensed the music of both Penderecki and Ligeti. And, it, and I remember as a kid hearing that movie and listening to that score going, what is that? How do they get those? That's so frightening, you know? So And so I, it's literally been with me my whole life. And then all of a wow. sudden finding these opportunities to use similar techniques has been really, really wonderful, really uh, uh, cool. Hungarian composer Zsörgy Ligeti wrote this piece called Atmospheres, and it's used in 2001. I got to be in L.A., and while I was there, I got to go see a class that Gary teaches about video game scoring at the University of Southern California. I don't like judging other people's music, particularly students. I feel like I don't want to discourage them. And yet, here in this class, I have to do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, I have to, but I feel it's really important. And I always tell them, I go, you know, 
and I can't say this to some stranger who's just sending me some MP3 over the internet, but I said, look, you know, in this here I've been doing this for a long time. People tell me when they don't like my music. So if I tell you don't, uh, that I don't think something is working, and I do it gently, I'm, I'm not a jerk or anything. You know, that's the worst piece of music I've ever heard. <laughs> you should get out of this business immediately. Uh, I never say that. But, uh, but I try to be honest and give people honest feedback because it's really important. And, and you get that when you're working too, you know, you, you are always being, you know, people encourage you to say, oh, I love that. Or they go, no, that's great. But at this point in the music, can you change this? Or no, you missed entirely. You, you got, it's, that's the wrong direction. So uh, this one a woman who's in my class, she, 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 I didn't, I didn't think what she did work, you know? So she went and rewrote the cue and sent me another cue a few days later. I was very impressed with that. I mean, that's a winner in, in my book because that's someone who really wants to get it right. That to me is more, it, it shows the kind of attitude you need to succeed in this business, you know, to not let negative feedback get you down, to proceed in against all the odds, you know, that you're going to succeed and you're going to keep. I think it's really important to be a good composer. But I think the attitude is really critical to finding a career because you do get, a, you are, the competition is fierce and you are uh, dealing with a lot of like no's before you get to yeses. So that's why I think that that attitude is so, so important. crazy part that, I, that, I, that has taken me a long time to learn is very often the insights of the people you work with are should not be taken lightly because they have a connection with the material because they've been working with it sometimes years before you've even gotten there. They have a connection to it of what they're trying to do that is, is quite uh, important to to um, appreciate and understand. And very often they can lead you to something that's way better than maybe what you did work on some level, but you didn't understand some, the, some deeper level of, of what they were try, they're trying to achieve, um, especially if you're outside contracted composer like I am. There's in-house composers. They, they, they would have somewhat of an advantage because they're there every day. They're at the meetings. They're, they're sort of living, breathing, sleeping these games, you know. So thanks, Gary. Just so, Pleasure. so great to speak with you. Good to speak with you, Emily. Thanks for reaching out and talking to me about it. And uh, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gary. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Top Score, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. You can listen to our other programs at infiniteguest.org, like Home Dunk with John Moe or Secret Skin with Open Mike Eagle. I'm Emily Reese. I really hope Gary does do a hip-hop remix version of its Shadow of Mortar of Music, and if he does, you'll hear it here. 
Top Scores production assistants are Pierce Huxtable and Nina Podick. Mark Hintz mixes each episode. Top Score is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. Follow Top Score on Twitter and Facebook at Top Score Podcast. That's Top Score. I'm Emily Reese.